Welcome to Growing a Green Your Kenai on this don't blink now, but it looks like it might be summer out there, folks. Uh, don't, uh, well, we need to not jinx it on us. I can tell you that right now. My goodness. Uh, we finally got a, a fairly nice day, and I can't hardly believe it. So uh, the the rain's supposed to be coming back in. So uh, let's let's uh, how how do you say it? Let's let's be happy with the day and a half of summer that we have had so far this year. So well, what do we got going on today? I'm uh, so happy y'all were able to to join me uh, today on Growing a Greener Kenai. Still having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I'm not sure how folks' gardens are doing, but I can tell you I have really seen a lot of comments on the uh, Garden Club website of everything people have is not really doing it's too hot and you know what do you what do you do what do you do about that there there isn't a whole lot to do and that's just be patient uh, let some of your things go just see how they do I've lost some of my cauliflower I don't know why uh, about I probably lost about 30 percent of my cauliflower plants everything else is doing okay the peas are doing great uh, lettuce is doing okay uh, beets and Swiss chard and all that's coming up now it's not uh, it's not breaking any records that's for sure but it's doing okay the the broccoli and the Brussels sprouts are doing okay so far and uh, we'll just have to see what happens well anyway it is a pretty nice day and I you know I always make a couple of announcements at the beginning of the show and and I know some of it gets redundant but it, you know for the folks that that uh, maybe have missed a few missed a few things uh, don't forget that uh, just north of the of uh, the uh, soccer fields at uh, coming out of Kenai going toward Nikiski is the slash pile dump for taking brush and dead trees and all that stuff it's open Sunday or uh, excuse me Thursday through Sunday from 10 to 6 and there's a person there that'll check you in save you that trip from going all the way down to the landfill south of Soldotna. So don't forget about that. If you do decide to burn, we've had good burning weather here lately, but don't forget to get that small-scale burn permit. You can get that online. And, uh, you know, uh, all this last week or so when it's been raining, real light rain, I've had some pretty good fires going, and I haven't had any trouble with them going out. I just uh, make sure they stay piled up. And I got rid of a lot of my stuff just by burning. But that, but I've got a big open area that I could do that with, and didn't really have to worry about a thing. And that rain we had, uh, that really, that really helped in keeping things safe. And don't forget, when you do get, if you do get your permit, there's a phone number you're supposed to call each day before you burn, and make sure that there's open burning uh, available for that. And uh, oh, and I, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it'll be on your permit if you get that and coming up on, I want to let you know and we'll talk about this at a later show too but coming up on August 4th through the 6th is the annual 4-H show that'll be at the Soldatna Sports Center and they do all sorts of stuff you know they they've got their animals all the kids will be in there and it's really it's really kind of neat a lot of the kids in there they all wear like dark pants and a white shirt you know they're they're as professional as they can be and then at the end of the show, they sell their animals at auction. So uh, that's something coming up, like I said, August 4th through 6th at Soldatna Sports Center. And uh, one of the things, I had a listener 
uh, run into me at the Saturday market up at the corner of Kenai Spur and Corral Street, which the, the Saturday market is going on right now, right there. If you want to, uh, you know, after growing a greener Kenai is over, if you want to go down and get some fresh produce, uh, the the uh, local farmers are starting to have some stuff to sell, uh, early, early season crops, and some of them that have greenhouses and high tunnels. They've got tomatoes already. They've got a lot of what you need, and let's do our best to support our local farmers. But this one listener, and, and uh, he didn't give me his name, but he said, you know, he said, you know, Larry, I like your show, but, you know, you're always talking about how well Bobby Jackson does out at Jackson Gardens. And they do. You know, like I said, uh, I don't think Bobby grows Brussels sprouts. And this is my last year to try. If Bobby doesn't mess with Brussels sprouts, I'm not messing with Brussels sprouts. But I'm giving it another try. You folks have heard me say that before. But anyway, he says, you know, you're always giving a good shout out to Bobby. She goes and he goes, well, you know, Harold, her husband, does all the work. You ought to give him a shout out. <laughs> you know, so I started laughing and I just told him, I said, you know, you're absolutely right. So I want to give a shout out to uh, Harold Jackson, uh, Bobby's husband, because uh, she's she's got him working and he works awful hard out at Jackson Garden. So so Harold, uh, good for you, buddy, for uh, for. Uh, <laughs> for helping keep that place as wonderful as it is, uh, not to mention their their other employees are. In fact, our president of the Central Peninsula Garden Club, uh, Mitzi Long, she works out there uh, seasonal uh, for Bobby, and uh, Bobby's got her hopping pretty good, too. Mitzi, Mitzi uh, knows what she's doing when it comes to gardening, too. All right, and one other thing I wanted to, to catch up on that— I mentioned uh, we talked a lot about last show a couple weeks ago, and that's I was talking about aphids. Well, you know, the one thing after the show was over and I was driving home, the one thing I remembered that I had forgotten to mention, you know, we talked about soap, we talked about neem oil, we talked about just spraying them off, uh, whatever. But, you know, the one thing I didn't mention was ladybugs and Everybody has told me that's tried this that ladybugs actually work fantastic. They are cute little bugs, but boy, they are wicked. They are voracious, and they get in there, and they flat out destroy those aphids. And if you have aphid trouble, be sure and get them quick because a lot of times, uh, a lot of our, a lot of our, uh, uh, supply houses, you know, Kenai Feed, Cadre, where, wherever, they run out of them. And I think you can order them. I've I, I got to admit to you, I've never used ladybugs before because I've only had one year, uh, three or four years ago, three, three years ago where I had aphids in the greenhouse. And then what I did to try to eradicate them and to not have to uh, worry about them the next year is what I, you know, they, I've read they put, can put their eggs in the soil. Well, in my greenhouse, I went around and I scraped off, oh, I scraped off a couple of inches of my soil. And I actually had a fire going and I threw that soil into the fire. And uh, since then now, I haven't had any aphid problems in my greenhouse. Is that a way to do it? I, you know, I don't know. All of something in my brain I just told me, well, just get rid of some of that soil where their eggs might be, and uh, maybe you won't have any trouble. So that worked for me. Uh, will it work for you? I don't know. And, and I think a lot of it, too, depends on how big your greenhouse or high tunnel is. Uh, 
my greenhouse was all raised bed and it was easy to get to. So anyway, that's what I did. But yeah, I forgot to mention the ladybugs last show. So I wanted to be sure and rectify that and uh, let you let you folks know uh, that that's that's an option also. Okay, so once again, I'm not sure how everybody's garden's doing. Uh, as I said, my outdoor garden is it's it's and like I said, people have said on the on the Garden Club uh, Facebook page that so many of their things are lagging so far behind. We've had people that their carrots didn't germinate. Uh, other plants they lost their zucchini everybody uh, it's like everything's been in suspended animation now but i will say that for instance in my greenhouse my greenhouse is looking fantastic the one thing that i was disappointed in my greenhouse and they were brand new seeds is i got really poor germination uh maybe only 20 25 percent germination on some bush beans i was growing in my greenhouse but I also, as a backup, I planted some vining beans uh, in a spot. Uh, like I told you folks before, I didn't plant as many cucumbers this year because we still got, we still got uh, pickles out the wazoo. Uh, we don't need to make pickles this year. They're still good. Uh, and I only put in two uh, vining cucumber plants just to get a fresh cucumber every now and then. Well, in the area where I usually had a cross of my cucumbers, I put vining beans. Well, I had 99% germination on those, so they're just starting to get tall enough where they're going to start reaching up to that trellis uh, that I've got in my greenhouse that usually the uh, the cucumbers are growing up. So anyway, uh, if I'm lucky, we'll get uh, we'll get a bunch of, of vining vining beans, uh, just green green beans, and hopefully that'll work out okay but yeah the the greenhouse is doing okay uh, my corn is corn in the greenhouse is maybe three foot tall i've got a couple of spare plants i've got one or two plants you know i don't know what it is but one or two plants they just don't do much so i had a couple more on the side and i'll probably get in there and dig up those uh couple that are just uh who knows why i don't know why everything else the one right next to it's growing great i got them spaced out and i've got but i've got a couple other ones to put in there as a backup and i think i've got three three backup plants left to go and i'll, I'll pull these one or two that aren't doing very well and I'll put them in there and then hopefully everything will be okay. So, but yeah, anyway, my corn is, is probably, it's got to be close to three foot tall now. My tomatoes are doing well. Uh, they're starting to, they are starting to flower. And uh, as I told you before, one of the things I do is I've got an old kid's electric toothbrush that I put the end of a, of a old piece of a water pipe, uh, a rigid water line. Uh, like an inch inch and a quarter diameter I taped it on there and that's what I do I just reach in and on those flowers and uh, and get them to pollinate since they are self-pollinating plant and as I've mentioned for you folks that haven't heard this my little neighbor buddy Harvey he comes down and he helps me sometimes he's only eight years old and I'll ask him if he wants to do you do you want to fool the tomato plants and he, and the first time I asked him this a couple years ago, he was only six. He says, what do you mean fool the tomato plants? And I go, well, what we're going to do is we're going to fool them. And he got to touching all the flowers for me with that little 
electric toothbrush, and he'd just laugh straight time and look at me and go, we're fooling the tomatoes, we're fooling the tomatoes. So I still enjoy doing that, and you folks know I love to love to get kids involved in gardening, and it's and it's really fun when they're uh, when they're enthused enough to help, and it just it makes the gardening go so much better. And uh, uh, to me, it does anyway. And uh, that that's one of the things we love to we love to do. Well, one of the things too that we want to talk about is when we're talking about what's going on in the garden right now. Your thing should be hanging in there, uh, but when you're looking at feeding your plants. What do you want to feed? You know, we've t- we've talked about fertilizer before. We've talked about what NPK is. We've talked about what the numbers mean on that. Uh, but what are the some of the things that you can do to improve your garden and feed and power your plants naturally? Well, one of the things you can do is making your own compost or making your own compost tea. Now, one of the things that I learned many years ago, I was only 20, 20 years old, and this was almost 50 years ago. So we're talking about back in the, in the early and mid, uh, getting into the mid-70s. My neighbor and a, and a good friend of mine who is, uh, unfortunately, he's passed away now, but he was a gardener, and I learned a lot of things from him. And what he taught me to do, even back then, was make compost tea. And... It wasn't anything fancy. Uh, he had just in his backyard, he had like a number two or a number three wash tub, you know, those big old uh, zinc-coated wash tubs. And he would put fresh chicken manure in it, and then he would uh, cover the bottom, and then he would fill it with water, and we'd mix it up. And he'd let it set. And he taught me back then that don't ever put fresh chicken manure on your plants because it'll burn them and it can potentially kill them. And one of the things that uh, people people don't understand is when you're talking about burning the plants, if you get it too close to the stem of the plant coming up out of the ground, that can hurt them. But that fresh chicken manure or too much of a hot manure that's not composted, you put it even around your plant and you get it even away from the stem, it can be hot enough and go down and burn the roots of your plant. And that also will uh, is not good. And uh, they might not kill all of them, but boy, it's, it's not good for those plants. So anyway, he showed me and I looked and he had it. And the bottom of the, of the wash tub, you could see the layer of muck down there. And he mixed it up. And then a couple days later, I, I was over there again, and the water was almost crystal clear. And he said, yeah, he said, the the manure and everything settles out, and he says, you've got a pretty good semi-clear, you know, pretty clear uh, enriched water to put on there. And I seem to remember him, he, did, he put his in there, if it was fresh manure, he put it in there for maybe a week, 10 days, and he stirred it every day a couple times a day, uh, and then he had let it go. And before he had stirred it, I was over that day, and I said the water was pretty clear. So that's how he did it. But, you know, you don't have to just use chicken manure. You can use any, pretty much any compost that you make. You can buy a bag of compost, excuse me, at the big box store, put uh, a couple scoops in a five-gallon bucket, and fill it with water. And just stir it a couple times a day, let it sit, and you've got a wonderful compost tea. People make compost tea out of a lot of things. Comfrey is one of the uh, one of the big things to make compost tea out of the plant. Comfrey, 
that is a good nutritious plant. But almost any plant, uh, the the scrap that you get off of harvesting in your garden, uh, the leaves, you know, you uh, grind them down real small, put them in some water, and you will you'll have some compost tea. Banana peelings there, bananas are high in potassium. You put some banana peelings in there, grind them up or do whatever, and you'll get some higher potassium in your compost tea. You know, so there's so many different things you can do. But that is one of the most natural things you can do is make homemade compost tea. It's so easy. It's inexpensive. It's simple. And if you've got your own compost, pile, like I said, you can make an endless supply all summer, and it's basically free. Uh, compost, the power of compost is literally undeniable. Uh, it's got trace minerals in it and the nutrients that plants, that they well, that they need and love. And uh, the thing that's nice is those nutrients are easy for the plants to absorb. Because compost, it can provide your plants with a steadily and easily absorbed absorbed flow of energy that you don't have to wait for it to break down you know it's like people talk about putting uh, eggshells in the garden well I've done that too but eggshells don't immediately break down you know I put my eggshells in the garden the summer or fall before and get them in there because it gives them time to break down and get into a form uh, with the calcium potentially that the plant can use. And I also put my eggshells into an old uh, an old food processor, and I mean I grind them up super duper tiny, almost into a powder. All that does is it makes it easier for them to break down and make it easier for the plants to access that that calcium. So. Anyway, uh, your compost tea, it can re-energize and re, uh, rejuvenate your soil, uh, boost the f- uh, fertility and the structure of the soil also. So it results in a healthier soil and more productive plants. Uh, but when you mix it with water and allow it to soak, all those nutrients turn into the perfect liquid fertilizer. So how do you make compost tea? Well, it's really pretty easy. Uh, it works pretty much the same way as pure compost, but with more instant power, we might say. Uh, instead of building a soil vitality, the tea harnesses all the nutrients into a liquid form, as I mentioned, that the plants can absorb more quickly. Uh, but what makes it so amazing is that when you apply it, the power works in two different ways. When you water with it, it goes through the roots of the plant as it soaks in, but you can also spray it on the stems and leaves and it will absorb into the plant. Another good reason why you want to be sure if you're using something that's hot like chicken manure, that you don't do that too early because you'd hate to burn your plants. So anyway, yeah, that's a, a double use for that. It'll go into as a foliar spray, and it absorbs right into the plant. And then as it's it's an all-natural fertilizer, it, compost tea, it can be applied every few weeks as a steady, a steady supply of those natural nutrients. And you don't have to worry about overpowering plants with too much energy or of using too much commercial fertilizer that uh, that you're unsure how to 
how much to apply. Because that's one of the toughest things people have trouble with is understanding how much to put down. You know, whenever you whenever you see a commercial uh, uh, fertilizer bag, it'll tell you. And most of them, they say, uh, apply X pounds of this per 100 or 1,000 square feet. Well, if you've got a four by eight bed, you got to do a little math. And then that uh, that's a little bit tougher for some folks to know so that they don't over fertilize. So I want to think too, commercial fertilizers, uh, they actually can contain some, some salts that over time uh, might affect your soil a little bit. So anyway, uh, the end result is that uh, it can take even more fertilizer each time to produce the same reserve if you're not doing the uh, fertilizing properly and making the soil become weaker instead of stronger. And one of the things we'll talk about at the end of the break is one of the things to do to make your soil a little bit stronger. So anyway, we're talking about how do you make compost tea? Like I said, uh, my friend taught me how to do it in, a, in an old number two or three wash tub. Uh, if you don't have a number two or three wash tub, use a five gallon bucket. You know, those are all over the place. Put a couple of scoops down in that bucket, fill it full of water, and stir it on a regular basis. Uh, let it work in there, and that's all you need to do. And then you let it settle for a long time, and then you've got uh, a pretty good, uh, a pretty good liquid compost to, to put uh, around the base of the plants, water your plants with, or like I said, as a foliar spray. Now, one of the things that's tougher. Uh, to make if you don't uh, if you're just putting it in a five gallon bucket and stirring it is that thing will likely go what and I know you folks know most of you folks know this anaerobic which means without oxygen and we all know aerobic means with oxygen so if you do it that that way I just said uh, put it in a five gallon bucket stir it a couple times a day it's likely to go anaerobic on you. In fact, I, I know it'll go anaerobic on you. And you stir it a little bit and build up and get a little oxygen in there, but, but it'll go anaerobic on you, and it'll start stinking. So it'll start stinking pretty good. Now, if you don't mind putting up with the smell, that's, that's no biggie. That's, that's an easy one. And when I've made mine before in the past, I always set my buckets outdoors, and then I, I've got a, oh, I've got a work table out there, and I just put it underneath the work table so it doesn't get poured rain in and potentially overfill the bucket, and it's, it's overflowing and wasting everything. So I do that, and I stir it, and maybe, like I said, a week or 10 days. Then I let it settle, and then I can scoop out, dip out some good uh, all-natural liquid fertilizer. But what I did do a couple years back, you can also get an aerator. And if you put, you know, like a, like a, a bubbler for a, a fish tank, you know, something like that, and you get that thing bubbling in there, now you've turned your bucket, your compost tea bucket, into an aerobic uh, environment. So uh, I think you folks all know, I've mentioned it before, but, you know, Michael Hicks at Grandpa's Worms, uh, when you buy his worm castings, he's actually got the directions on the bag on how to make your compost tea using his worm castings. You know, you can uh, take like your five-gallon bucket, uh, you put like a scoop of, of uh, your worm castings in that bucket, 
and you add a little sugar and that gives the that gives the bacteria a little something else to eat it's just like when you're making bread and your yeast you put a little sugar in with the the yeast for the uh, yeast to eat uh to Get them going when you're making bread. Well, it's kind of the same way with that. You can add uh, a sugar or not. Uh, Michael on his bag recommends that you use uh, you use maybe a little molasses. And I've I've done it both ways. I've made it with molasses, and I've just put you know mixed up a cu- uh, like a, a cup of sugar in water and got it dissolved and poured it in there, uh, and it seems to work just as well. So anyway, if you're if you're going to do this, uh, it's really simple. Uh, you need five gallon buckets, some compost, water, and a stirring stick. Then, if you're going to aerate it, like I said, you can get uh, oh, you can get it. Like I said, you can get a bubbler from uh, a good heavy bubbler for uh, a fish tank. Uh, I actually bought a small compressor that has that was designed for this and uh, i got it on you know online we get you know we can get everything online and uh, i bubble it and i've made a couple done it a couple different ways in the bucket uh stirring it with sugar with with uh uh oh the the blackstrap molasses Uh, but you want to be sure you use unsulfured molasses you don't want the sulfur in there you want Good, pure molasses. And you don't put more in there. Half a cup, uh, just a, a drizzle of, uh, of molasses in there. And that'll give a, a few extra things for the bacteria to eat. And then you, uh, you've, got, you've, you've got compost tea. And uh, if you let it settle or if you decide you want to strain it, you know, you can use a cheesecloth and you can pour it through the cheesecloth. Then you'd have a really nice, clear compost tea that you can use with your watering bucket or anything and you know there's not going to get anything that that clogs up the little holes at the end of a of a watering bucket so it is so easy to do and then the thing is is the muck that's left over after you're done making your compost tea that's still good stuff that's got nutrients in it still so don't throw that away use that and put that in your garden mix it into the soil put it in your compost pile do whatever now kind of depending on on uh, there's a couple di- and there's a couple different schools of thought on this one but one of the things is some folks advocate being careful on where you're getting your water from uh, and what i mean by that is you know the water that comes out of your tap has just a smidge of chlorine in it and actually my old job i used to be a water guy and but the standard for that from a a city system at the tap they don't want you to have uh, their goal is to get a half to one part per million of chlorine in your water that comes out of your tap okay well when that water goes into a bucket with your compost it basically immediately oxidizes all that chlorine and it's not it's not going to be an issue Uh, in fact most of it oxidizes when it actually comes out the tap and is getting aerated it it comes out so anyway that uh that doesn't hardly 
matter. Uh, I wouldn't really worry about that. But some people say they like to use rainwater. And if that's what you do, if you collect rainwater, you've got a barrel or whatever, uh, that's just fine. And also some folks say if you do use treated water, it comes out the tap, you let it sit in a few days and uh, it lets uh, it lets the uh, chlorine in there basically uh, dissolve, uh, uh, evaporate into the air. Uh, you know, but, but like I said, I wouldn't really worry about that. Now, my wife and I, we have a well and we have a water softener. And I've even used my water softener water for years in the garden. And I, I couldn't tell a difference in anything. But what I did this last, last summer is our water softener finally bit the dust. So we had to have a new softener put in. Well, what I did while we installed that new water softener was I had the plumber bypass the water softener where my well water goes directly to my outside spigots for garden for uh, the hose and watering and all that stuff. So I don't have treated water going to uh, softener treated water going to the gardener anymore. It's fresh, fresh, plain well water. Uh, but you know, so far I haven't I haven't been able to tell the difference. So, but if that but if if that bothers you, you know, like I said, uh, don't uh, don't don't worry about it. You know, uh, do what you like to do. If you want to use rainwater, distilled water, or anything like that, uh, and then uh, and then you've got some compost tea. It's it's a it becomes it's an amazingly balanced fertilizer for your plants. Uh, it it does everything it's good for vegetables your herbs your flowering plants your perennials shrubs bushes it's good for everything and i don't know i like to watch some of the uh the gardening shows on on tv and on youtube and if you've ever noticed even in yards sometime that need a little help they will take uh, uh screened compost and literally just cover it all over the yard, and I mean, it turned the yard almost looks like it just turned into a, a, a black blanket of muck. And then as it rains, it works that compost down in, and it goes. It does great for your grass too, you know. So it's a great way. It's a cheap way, and I'm sure that most of you folks, you know absolutely what I'm talking about. And uh, give it a give, you know, give it a try if that's something you might want to do. And I think uh, I don't think it'll be uh, you'll be disappointed. Uh, give it a try. Uh, you can do research online. Uh, there's all sorts of things out there that show how to do this. Get a bag of Michael's uh, worm castings at Grandpa's. Uh, you can get a half a bag uh, and follow those directions, and you'll have a wonderful compost tea. And all that does is help your garden. Well, folks. Uh, I hope that helped you out a little bit on talking about compost. We didn't talk about making a compost pile and letting it heat up. We've talked about that before. Maybe we'll talk about that coming up again as we get farther into the gardening season to have make your compost pile that's ready for next year. And that's what I do. I make my compost pile that I make this year won't be used until next year uh, to get it time to cook, give it time to heat up, and give it time to work even through the winter. All right. Uh, well, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you folks about today is your outdoor garden, kind of depending on what you like to do. And, you know, not everything grows as well as in other parts of the country, but herbs 
are one of the things most of us really like to grow. Well, you know, there's some of the herbs, and I and I touched on this last time a little bit on my mint, is herbs that are really invasive in your garden. You know, so which herbs are invasive from being useful herbs to an uncontrollable uh, growth, uh, outcompeting your other plants, uh, so anyway, uh, there's a, there's, yeah, and there again, you can do research on this and, and, uh, I've checked into this a little bit, but some of the most common offenders on invasive herbs are, uh, calendula, uh, the yellow and orange flowers are, are gorgeous. Uh, you know, they're, 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 uh, they're beautiful, I think, but, and they're tough as nails and they love to spread their roots and they're invasive. You know, uh, it sets its sight on a patch of soil, and it's there to stay. And we all know what the one weed is. It just about drives us all nuts that does the same thing, and that is horse's tail. You know, I mean, horse tail. I mean, good Lord. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're not careful, this stuff will just absolutely take over everything, your yard, uh, your garden, everything. So you got to keep in it. But dill, dill is also another one of those things that it'll actually spread like wildfire if you don't manage it properly, and it'll choke out other plants in your garden. Uh, but it's still a beloved herb uh, in uh, kitchens everywhere. You know, we love it for our pickles and everything. But you just got to be careful if you let it go. It'll, it'll, uh, it'll just take over. And boy, it's really good. Deals good on on salmon, isn't it? My goodness. Lemon balm is another one uh, that uh, it's part of the mint family, and we all know what can happen with mint. In fact, it's sometimes mistaken for mint, uh, but it has a, a fairly unique flavor and aroma. Uh, it's it's same way lively. Uh, it's it's great for pollinators in the area, uh, the bees and butterflies. And it's also used in uh, herbal medicine, but it's invasive. Chamomile, those little uh, yellow dotted center dot flowers, white flowers are really neat. Uh, And it's not a pest, it's just invasive. And it belongs to the daisy family, which is why those little flowers look so cute. And it's uh, it makes great tea. In fact, I got a quick story to tell you. Uh, a good uh, friend of mine that I worked uh, this is back in the '90s. I worked with uh, doing some engineering work. He was going out to work at a remote site, and he was getting ready to get on a small plane. And they, the police, came up to him and pulled him over and says, uh, "Corey, we need to come and have a talk." And he's like, "What?" Well, they take him in this office, and they had his luggage and they pull out this giant gallon zippered bag he said would you like to explain this and they thought it was weed and he goes he goes for god's sakes it's chamomile tea that he had grown and dried himself and he was making chamomile tea and he told us this at work and he says they all just had a really stupid look on their face and apologized he got on his plane and went out uh, and got his job done. But I love to tell that story because it's like, oh, my gosh, yeah. Okay. And uh, partially can be invasive if you're not careful. Chives are uh, can be invasive. Boy, chives will 
will uh, they will go nuts. And I, you know, and I can't remember. You know, the food bank. Obviously, if you if folks remember, they they lost their high tunnel last year, and they're supposed to be getting a new one. I know their uh, Kenai Feed is waiting for some parts to come in for them to get their new high tunnel up. And I don't know if it's still alive, but they used to have a a chive, some chives growing in there. It was absolutely a massive, monstrous plant, and they let it go every year. And I haven't checked lately to see if it's coming up as you drive by. I'll have to check that out. But uh, yeah, chives can can uh, take over. Catnip can take over. Comfrey, as I mentioned before, uh, comfrey is a really pretty plant, and I'm colorblind, you know, so I don't ever know if the if the flowers are blue or purple or what the heck color they are. Uh, uh, but they uh, they are nice, and comfrey is one of the the plants that a lot of folks they really like to make their compost tea out of, because it, it it makes uh, a a really good a really good tea. Uh, thyme can be uh, oh, and the one that we've got in our uh, little herb garden that really is just gets bigger every year, uh, and I'm and I'm controlling it. It's not out of control yet, and that's the Greek oregano. Uh, it's it's growing fantastic, uh, and we love to take that. We'll have enough, and we put it in our our dehydrator, and we will crush that up, and we'll have uh, our own oregano through the through the winter time, because we all know it's good for pizza, a pizza on a pizza, pasta sauces, roast meat and vegetables. It's a it's really versatile, and it and it uh, really works well, you know. And, you know, they say it's a perennial that thrives in warm, dry climates. But I'll tell you what, uh, ours on the side of our house, now maybe because it's right next to the house, it it does great. I mean, it just uh, it comes back stronger every year. And, but like I said, I've got a little rock-outlined herb garden on the side of our house. And so far, it's stayed contained. It just gets bigger every year. And then the one that we all no will really take over is mint and there's uh, you know peppermint uh all the different mints spearmint apple mint uh they have a unique flavor but boy they can they can take over and as i mentioned to you last time i think in order to keep ours from really going crazy is i took one of those uh like two gallon uh, plastic buckets that you might get your plant in from a nursery or something and I cut the bottom out of it and then I set it down I buried it into the ground up to ground level at where the lip of the that bucket is that that planting bucket and then I planted our mint in that and that has so far that has kept it isolated to that bucket and it's easy to control and I think there's only been one root that escaped out the bottom and it started coming up the side outside the bucket uh, outside that perimeter and we whacked it off I dug down kind of deep and whacked that uh, that start off and that was last year year before last and so far uh, it has stayed contained in that buried bucket but uh, you know what, I don't know if I needed to cut the bottom off or not. I just did it. You might be able to just plant the whole bucket down in the in the ground and go go with that. You know, so anyway, there are there are so many things uh, that literally they're great to grow. We like to use them in the kitchen. People use them for teas, they use them in holistic medicine. But 
And all of them don't necessarily grow that well up here outdoors, but the ones that do, you know, uh, just be just be careful with them. You know, in certain climates, fennel uh, actually is invasive, and it'll it'll uh, well it'll 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 take over too. You know, so uh, do a little do a little uh, research, and then one of the other ways to keep them from uh, spreading. Uh, especially the ones that spread by flowering and dropping their seeds, is before they have a chance to go to seed, just deadhead them. Just take all the flowers off, and it, pre- it prevents them from producing seeds, and they won't, they won't spread and take over the garden. You know, so that's a, that's a real easy way to do it, too. So anyway, I hope that helped you out a little bit on, on that. Another thing I want to talk about is uh, with some of the folks, like I said, that have had trouble with their gardens this year Uh, i've seen a lot of people saying they've had trouble keeping their zucchini going this year well it's been so wet and cool now i grow my zucchini under a small about three and a half to four foot tall little you know little high tunnel that i've got over this one raised bed so i'm keeping them pretty warm but it's been so cool and damp here lately anyway, is one of the things to do with your zucchini is plant them on a little hill. And one of the reasons you make a little hill when you plant them is too much water hanging around the stem will rot that stem, can cause mold and all that. So what, what I do, and I do this, uh, I've done this with tomatoes too, is you, you plant your zucchini on a little mound, maybe four, four, uh, four to six inches tall, and you make a little moat around it that'll hold water, and that's where you water your zucchini. Just water that, fill that moat up, and it keeps water from sitting next to the stem of that zucchini. It lets it grow, it lets it get its water. You can put your, your compost tea in that, uh, in that little moat, fill it up, it'll soak in, it'll feed your plant, but it won't let that water sit right next to the stem. Well, that's what I do, and it, uh, it, it's, it has worked for years. I did that back in the Midwest, too. We planted everything on a, on a little mound to keep water from uh, collecting right next to the stem of all the plants, and that certainly seemed to help, uh, like I said, with um, hold-down mold, hold-down rot, and all that good stuff. And uh, also, uh, if you're in a place where you don't have bees or pollinators or you're growing in a high tunnel— you know, uh, right now, the the uh, zucchini, mine are starting to make flowers, but it takes a little while. People always worry about having too many male flowers or not enough female flowers, and I don't worry about, I don't, I don't wait for bees or other uh, insects to pollinate the flowers. When I see a couple of good female flowers there, I will take the male flower, that stamen off the male flower with the pollen on it, and I will go along and I will just insert that into the female flowers. And uh, a lot of times you can use the same male flower to for, uh, 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 fertilize, not fertilize, uh, pollinate uh, all the female flowers. Uh, just poke it in, pull it out, poke it in, pull it out. And I do that with all the flowers. And then that... Uh, 
that usually that's that's usually what works for me. And if you if you do get uh, and also by by keeping the the water off uh, off everything like that too. Uh, I know you folks, and, and we've all dealt with it when you're looking at uh, a zucchini plant that it looks like uh, the the fruit is starting to come out. Uh, but then all of a sudden the end of it rots and that flower gets funky and bleh, gooey and stuff and it falls off. That's usually a couple things, too much moisture on it or poor pollination. So uh, I keep my mine covered. Uh, the, the rain doesn't hit them. I water them low and uh, I've had I've had pretty good luck that way. So uh, uh, putting them on small hills or mounds, that's one of the secrets to good success with that and then you make your uh, your compost tea uh your water and and that's good to, that's good to go you know you'll you'll be just fine uh that works pretty good uh doing that so and uh, as we get uh, down to the end of the show here one of the things i want to discuss too uh especially there's still a little bit of time for this but, you know, one of the things to think about, uh, you know, it's hard to think that we're on the 1st of July, and I don't know about you, but folks are already starting to think about, oh, my gosh, you know, two two months, September, uh, fall's going to be here before we know it. That's the, man, that's the, it's hard to think about that on a day like today. But you might think about making some plans on if you've got a raised bed or wherever you're planning uh, that you're going to be harvesting uh, broccoli, cauliflower, you know, whatever, whatever you're going to be harvesting out there. Whenever you get all those harvested, unless you're going to use it to plant a fast-growing crop of maybe, oh, some uh, transplant some lettuce or a few other things that you've got time to do, is think about uh, growing a cover crop in that area. And that's what I've done in years past on my raised beds. You know, and I've told you folks before, I like to use old old uh, garage door panels and they're up off the ground they're like 22 inches high well when i get done harvesting uh regardless of what it is if it's peat whatever's growing in there when the harvest is done on that i pretty much put in a cover crop on that and just let it grow and you can even let it grow and let it sit there all winter and you know one of the you know, there are so many benefits of planting a, a fall cover crop uh, because, for one thing, it just helps to, it keeps every, you know, depending on, like my bed is doesn't have really any erosion from it. It might settle a little bit, but it, but it, if you've got another raised bed or if you've got, if you're planting in the ground, uh, you know, the wind, the rain, and snow, it can take a toll on soil, but a good cover crop helps to protect that soil, and what also happens with the with the cover crop is it builds a root system below the soil and they break down deep into the soil and help keep that soil loose uh, it but a cover crop probably most important of all it helps to recharge a tired garden soil and it puts nutrients back into the soil and this is another one of those natural things you can do instead of, you know, you can put your own compost that you've built in there. But a cover crop especially, it helps to fix nitrogen levels and it helps to build uh, a, a new valuable soil structure. 
So as soon as the soil's been cleared of your summer vegetable crops, the sooner you protect that bare soil by planting, the, the better. Uh, there's a lot, and there's a lot of choices when it comes to choosing a cover crop. But at the top of the list, that the, all the research I've done is that annual rye is one of the best things to use for there. It fixes nitrogen in the, the soil. It's got bright green uh, grass-type blades. Uh, the roots go deep, and then it goes dormant in the winter. And if you're lucky, it might come back in early spring. Uh, uh, I'm not sure up here. I've never seen I've never waited long enough for it to really come back up here. But I typically turn it under, and that's one of your easiest uh, that's one of your easiest garden chores at all. All you do is once you've harvested everything, uh, use your rake uh, to rough up the soil a little bit and apply that seed by hand and gently rake it into the soil. Uh, it doesn't have to be really covered, uh, but the one thing that raking it in <laughs> keeps all the birds from eating it. And they usually germinates fairly quickly. And usually within a couple of weeks, uh, it'll be completely covered in a protective blanket on there. And there's not much to do to it. And as you all know up here, our gardens get covered in snow. So you can put that on there. Uh, we've talked about snow on the garden. And it also, uh, it, it can help, what's the word I'm looking for? It can help choke out weeds uh, through for next year too. Uh, so anyway, that that's another thing that you might start thinking about. And there's different with, uh, if you folks, everybody's got a different place they get their seeds. And you can look at that. Almost everybody, almost all seed companies will sell a cover crop seed packet. M.I. Gardener, that's who I planted mine from. I've gotten my stuff uh, from M.I. Gardener before. And I've used his uh, crop you can get the annual rice seeds here you can you can go to Cadre you can go especially to Kenai feed and uh, get some of that seed and plant those and you can either till uh, the the once the stuff grows the next year you can either till it in use a no-till method uh, use no-till and just turn it under uh, but it'll enrich and energize uh, your soil for next year uh, for that but that's kind of one of the things as I said that you kind of need to be thinking about now on how you want to do that uh, because then, uh, you know, it'll be here sooner than you think. So if you do need some cover crop seeds and you want to order them, now might be the time to order those from your, from your favorite seed company. And I, I haven't, I don't know if I've said, I can't give, you know, there's so many places where people love to get their seeds, but I haven't seen a single one that I, that I know of that, that hasn't got, a cover crop mix you know they'll put clover and rye and cereal rye. they'll put everything in there and that's what I've used in the past and 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 it's kind of neat looking too because instead of just having that bare uh, raised bed you've actually got something green growing and uh, and it's pretty cool you know instead of just that bare ground getting blown by the wind and what have you so anyway that's something to think about uh, for this uh, for this next uh, next year uh, get those seeds ordered and be ready to put your cover crop in. Well, I hope uh, I hope everybody is uh, oh I hope everybody's getting along with their garden. It's uh, like I said, uh, 
don't don't blink because that uh, little bit of rainy cooler weather is supposed to be coming back in so uh but you know we always like to tell our friends in the lower 48 that hey it's summer today but it'll be fall tomorrow you know and uh just do excuse me do what you can uh protect your plants as good as you can i've had a lot of folks on the garden club site they've mentioned how their their uh their carrots haven't done very well this year. Mine are growing, but boy, they're not—they're uh, not exactly burning up the burning up the soil and uh, getting big. They're—they're they're growing, but it just has taken forever for them to germinate and to start growing. You know. So uh, anyway, it's uh, it's one of those things. Uh, it's just one of those cool years. And one of the ladies on the Garden Club uh, Facebook page said she's been gardening up here for 40, 45, 50 years, something like that. And she said she does not remember a year like this. So we're all putting up with it. And all we can do uh, the best is to, to help each other out and get the best garden we can and uh, and just get through this, you know, maybe maybe next year, maybe we'll have, uh, maybe it'll get warm and we'll have a little bit more of an extended, of an extended uh, warm season getting into the fall. And then uh, here pretty soon we'll be talking about uh, what we're doing with harvesting potatoes and how we store those and how we take care of it, how we store our, our vegetables and, and what have you like that, you know. So so uh, we're moving along already, folks. The 1st of July, uh, we've still got a month to go for the rainy season hits us, quote, <laughs> normal rainy season in August. So uh, we'll see what we can do. Well, folks, there's, uh, there's our cue. Uh, the Octopus's Garden by the Beatles of the last two minutes of the show. And once again, I want to thank you for listening to Growing a Greener Keen Eye. Uh, uh, gardeners are some of the best folks in the world. And, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of good gardening quotes out there, and I, I love to look at a lot of them. Uh, you know, uh, we all... Uh, you know, there's a quote from a Life is a Flower. It says, carry on smiling and the world will smile with you. Life is a flower so precious in your hand. And that's what we all, uh, gardeners are some of the best folks in the world. And uh, everybody tries to share their secrets, share what works for them with everybody else. And that's what makes gardening fun is uh, one gardener to another. There's no secrets. Uh, whatever we can do to help each other out. So anyway, uh, don't forget to patronize our our good uh, supporters of the Garden Club, uh, Kenai Feed, Cadre, uh, Fritz's Compost, uh, Michael's uh, uh, Worm Castings. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I want to thank you for listening. This is listener-supported public radio for the Central Kenai Peninsula, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a few weeks.